0: I think about just those last words, this moment. I don't know, sometimes there's just like a sweet season, sweet moments that Jesus give to, gives to us. And I feel like just all of that worship was just sweet. And I don't know about you, but the Lord just ministered to my soul. And you guys wouldn't know this, but there were some difficulties this morning with uh, sound and technology. Um, so can we just give it up for, for John and the worship team and, and just the work that they put in every, every Wednesday? Yeah. So, thank you. Um, So, as many of you guys know, I'm from Texas. And a lot of times people from Texas have some state pride and they like their state. I hope I'm like middle of the road uh, on that one. But oftentimes, when people find out that I'm from Texas, they ask if I've ever been to Magnolia Farms. Right? Any Chip and Joanna Gaines fans in here? Yeah? Hopefully some. Right? They've asked if I've been to the silos. They, they want to know, and, and if you're unfamiliar or you're uninitiated with all that is Chip and Joanna Gaines, they kind of became famous on a show called Fixer Upper, where they would go and restore houses. Uh, and their look is kind of the modern farmhouse look. It's the wood. It's the shiplap. It's, uh, if you, they have their brand in Target. Go to Target. You can buy their home decor. And they've, they live in Waco, Texas, and have built this empire. Uh, and, and I'm just going to tell you. If you like long lines, overpriced things, and a lot of people with no space, then you should totally go to Magnolia Farms. No, it's cool, but they've built their thing on restoration, on restoring homes. And and I think about what is one of the key principles of restoration, right? Restoration is essentially putting back into something as much of the original material as possible. Right? Renovation is a gutting out and putting something new in, but a restoring is, is restoring it back to the way it was intended, the way it was originally supposed to be. Right? And Jesus is in the business of restoring people. Right? The, the Christian life is a story of Jesus continuously restoring us back to himself. And, and not necessarily in a, in a salvific way in which, okay, we got to be saved over and over again. But there's times where we as Christians, we're just weary. Right? We're just tired. There are times where our, our schedule is full and we just have been self-focused and not focused on Jesus. Right? There are times where we feel unworthy or we feel like we can't have a relationship with Jesus because of a habitual sin or struggle Or there are just times in our lives where we just keep hearing whispers of the enemy that we're not good enough, that we don't measure up, that God can't use us, and and there are times where we just need to be restored back to Jesus. And our text this morning is is a text about restoration, specifically how Peter was restored back to Jesus. And Jesus asks him the question— Do you love me more than these? Right, it's the the question Jesus asks Peter and is asking us this morning, and that question is, it's pointed, and it's kind of painful. But Jesus asks it with the intention to restore us. Not to shame us and not to hurt us, but he asks it with the intention to restore us back to himself. And so that's where I want to focus this morning, is on how Jesus restores us back to himself despite our sin, despite our struggles, despite how tired we are. And so if you have your Bibles, or it'll it'll be on the screen, you can open up to John chapter 21, the last chapter in the Gospel of John. And to set a little bit of context, Jesus has died which has caused confusion among his followers and disciples. Was he the Messiah? What are they supposed to do now? But he's come back to life, right? He's appeared to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. He's appeared to the disciples. And we get the whole scene of doubting Thomas. Yet his disciples are still confused. So they decide to go fishing. They're like, all right, well, we're not really sure what to do. So we're going to go back to what we used to do. We're going to go back to our old occupation and get on with our life. But Jesus shows up, eats breakfast with them, and then he pulls Peter to the side and has a conversation with him, which is where our text picks up. So John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you and Jesus said to him feed my sheep. Right, Jesus takes Peter to the side and has this conversation and he asks the question, do you love me more than these? With the whole intention to restore Peter back to himself. Right, so how does Jesus restore us to himself? I think the first thing we see in this text is that Jesus goes to where the pain is, right? Jesus goes to where the pain is. Think about Peter. If we go back to John chapter 13, Peter has emphatically proclaimed that he would lay down his life for Jesus. And then Jesus responds, well, actually, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. We go to John chapter 18, and Peter does just that. Wait, I— Aren't you, didn't you follow Jesus? And he's like, no, I'm not that guy. I do not know the man. Right? Peter denies him three times. And here, Jesus pulls him to the side and he says, Simon, son of John. Right? This this is kind of, you know, when your mom growing up maybe says your full name, right? My mom would say, Samuel Garner Ashmore. Not all the time I'd be in trouble, although mainly I'd be in trouble when that was used. But sometimes it just shows the gravity of the conversation that's about to happen. And this is what Jesus does. And then he asks Peter the same question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And as we read this, this should bring us back to Peter denying Jesus three times. And not just that, but this conversation takes place beside a charcoal fire, right? If we look at just a few verses above in verse 9, it says, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish and laid out on it, fish laid out on it and bread." If we go to where Peter denies Jesus the second and third time, John 18 verse 25 says this, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. Again, this word, he was by a fire when he denied Jesus. The two times the word for charcoal fire is used in the Gospel of John are these two times, when Peter denies Jesus, and now when Jesus is restoring Peter back to himself. As I read this text, I thought about the power of smell. You know how when you smell certain things, it brings you back to a certain time? in your life or certain location as it's kind of warm outside right now the snow is melting we're about to get graced with in Sioux Center the beautiful smell of money or in other words manure right and and every time I smell that in the spring or in the fall it brings me back to the very first time I came to then Dort College before my freshman year driving to the road trip getting to this tiny town and thinking why does it smell so bad every time it brings me back to that place and I think what am I doing right and and maybe for you it's freshly baked cookies and it brings you back to grandma's kitchen another weird one for me when I was really young I knew this kid named Philip he smelled bad very bad so anytime I meet somebody named Philip for the first like minute and a half I'm like you stink really bad so if your name is Philip like for the like two minutes you're gonna smell to me but then we'll be friends Uh, I don't think there's too many Phillips here. I don't know. But right, smell is powerful. And I can only imagine Peter in this moment, Jesus asks him a question three times. Peter smells the charcoal fire. And I can only imagine the shame, maybe the hurt, the regret, and the pain that Peter is feeling in this moment because he's remembering what he did to Jesus and how he betrayed him. So why does Jesus ask this three times, and why does he do this by the fire? It's not because Jesus is dissatisfied with Peter's answer. It's not because Jesus wants to shame him or make him feel guilty, but Jesus wants to get at his core desires. He wants to enter into Peter's pain so he can root it out of him. And that's what he wants to do to you and me. Jesus does not want to go around our sin or around our hurt, but he actually wants to enter into it. He's not afraid of your darkest moments. He's not afraid of your deepest insecurities. He's not afraid of your largest doubts, but he actually wants to enter into them with the hope of restoring you and freeing you. Remember the question, Do you love me more than these? And picture this. Do you love me? Jesus is saying it to you. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And each time the question penetrates deeper and deeper and deeper. And so I ask you the question, what or who are these in your life? What or who are these? are these what are the disordered loves that Jesus wants to root out of you we have them what are they Jesus wants to enter into that in order to restore you back to himself here's here's the second thing Jesus does i think of how he restores us back to himself back to himself he shares his ministry with us Jesus shares his ministry with us. If we go back to the text and we look at this conversation of Jesus asking questions, Peter saying, Yes, I love you. Here are the responses Jesus has. He says, Okay, you love me. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Some want to get bogged down on maybe the nuances of what's the difference between a lamb and a sheep, or why does he say feed one time and tend the next? And I'll just be honest, I don't, I don't actually think it's all that helpful or all that important, because I think if we get bogged down on the language and these nuances, we actually miss the most simple thing Peter's ask, or Jesus is asking of Peter. He's saying, Peter, take really good care of the people I give to you. That's it. He's saying, Peter take really, really good care of the people around you and in your life. Shepherd them, love them, care for them, right? The good shepherd, Jesus, who laid down his life for his sheep, for you and me, is inviting Peter and is inviting me and you to take part in the work of the kingdom every single day. I think about my son Zion. He's two years old. We're trying to teach him a whole bunch of things right now. One of the things we're trying to teach him is to take his dish after dinner to the sink. It's really difficult. If you have any tips, let me know. Because one of three things usually happens: he gets up and he's really excited because he loves helping. He wants to do everything himself, and so he gets up and usually it happens like he does like a high knees to the sink, and then food goes everywhere. Or he just like walks and kind of forgets and he just like drops it, right? And then like food is everywhere, it's on our carpet, it's gross, um, it's, it's kind of terrible. Or he gets to the sink, he makes it with food on his plate, but for some reason he just throws it into the sink, which still gets food everywhere or breaks a glass. And the last thing that he does is he puts it anywhere except the sink. Basically, he gets from the table, and he's like, oh, okay, this stand is good. Oh, the couch, that works. Like, whatever. Hardly ever does he make it to the sink. And if I'm being honest, it would be so much easier if I would just take the plate and put it in the sink. It would be done right. It would be done well. Our house would be cleaner. Our rug would not be disgusting. Like, it would be so much easier. But but I don't scold him, or I don't say, all right, Zion, you're going to have a timeout. I don't take the responsibility away from him, but I actually get on my knee, and I say, hey, buddy, it's all right. And and Gail and I invite him day after day, night after night, to continue to help mom and dad clean the kitchen. And he loves it. And I think in the same way, when we mess up, or when we struggle, or like Peter, denied Jesus, which is essentially what our sin is, Jesus does not take away the responsibility from you. He does not put you in time out. He doesn't say, oh, you can't do my work anymore because you've messed up. I can do it perfectly. I can do it quickly. I can do it way better. But he continues to invite you and me to share in the ministry of the kingdom, of taking really good care of people every single day, to taking good care of our roommates and of our families Why does he do this? Why does he share his ministry with us? Why does he ask us to be shepherds alongside of him? Because participating in the ministry of Jesus restores us back to himself. N.T. Wright, kind he says this, talking about this passage, he says, if you're going to do any single solitary thing as a follower and servant of Jesus, this is what it's built on. Somewhere deep down inside, there is a love for Jesus. And though, goodness knows, you've let him down enough times, he wants to find that love to give you a chance to express it, to heal the hurts and failures of the past, and give you a new work to do. I am convinced that when we become aware of others and take really, really good care of them and serve them, it actually releases us from our past hurts and failures and pains and unearths our true love, who is Jesus. When we get outside of ourselves and we focus on others, we are set free from our sins and our hurts and our true love comes out, which is Jesus. Right, remember the question, do you love me more than these? The core of who you are loves Jesus. That's who you were created to be. As image bearers, right, the way that you were intended to be, whether you were a Christian or not, whether you know Jesus or you don't, the core of who you are as a human being and as an image bearer is to love Jesus. That is where we are content. That is where we are fully satisfied. And so Jesus sharing his ministry with you and with me is restoring us back to our true love. So take really good care of people And love them well So Jesus restores us By going to where our pain is Sharing his ministry With us And then third By demanding us To imitate him After this this dialogue Jesus has an interesting, interesting Statement to Peter Starting in verse 18 Jesus says this The last time Jesus said truly, truly was before Peter denied him. So again, the gravity of this statement is is important. This is big. And then Jesus says, you will stretch out your hands. This is an idiom for crucifixion. Jesus is telling Peter the way in which he will die, which is by way of the cross, which is by way of crucifixion. And then he says at the end, to cap it all all off, follow me. The very first words Jesus ever spoke to Peter, follow me. And now almost the last words Jesus speaks to Peter, follow me. Imitate me. Die with me. I have shown you the pattern to go low and to serve and to die, which leads to life. And now you go and do the same. Commentator, talking about Peter, says this, The way Peter dies will bring special glory to God. It is the way we lose more than even the way we win if the gospel is to be believed that brings the greater glory to God. Here's my summary of this statement. It is the way we lose more than the way we win that brings the greater glory to God way we lose more than the way we win so what does this look like I think often when we think about following Jesus or answering Jesus's call we we kind of think about this as a big monumental decision Right, We have to leave everything. We have to sell everything. We have to go and be single for the rest of our lives. We have to move to another country. Like We think we have to save so many people and preach the God, which are all good things. There are people who are called to that. Peter was called to die. It's clear in this text. But, but I wonder if, if we kind of overcomplicate it. Too bit. Here, here's what Jesus also says in the Gospels. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I wonder if taking up our cross is not about what we do, but a lot more about what we do not do. Right? I, I wonder if taking up our cross is not doing more things for Jesus. Sharing the gospel more for Jesus. Reading our Bible more for Jesus. Going on these tr- mission trips more for Jesus. Joining a small group more for Jesus. Right, All good things. I wonder if taking up our cross daily is not about doing more for Jesus, but it's actually about being with Jesus and enjoying Jesus. And delighting in Jesus because when we are with Jesus when we are in close proximity to Jesus we begin to hunger and thirst for Jesus and when we hunger and thirst for Jesus our loves our sins our idols in our lives become less and less and less and so the antidote to to our selfishness right is not to do more for Jesus but it's actually simply to be with Jesus Can I say, Jesus' call is simple. I know in college and at Dort we talk about call and it is important. What are you supposed to do and what job and how do you go do these things, which are all important, but Jesus here actually makes it really, really simple. Here's one thing he asks of Peter. Please take really good care of the people I bring to you. Please take really good care of the people I bring to you. Jesus is asking you to lay down your loves and your idols and your hurts and your pains in the everyday, mundane rhythms of life. He's asking you to be a good friend. He's asking you to be a good son or good daughter and honor your parents. He's asking you to do the dishes, even if they're not yours in your room. Right, he's asking you to put down your screen and just listen and have a conversation with somebody. He, he is simply saying, you know what? Will you just become aware of others and attentive to their needs? That's the call to die. To die to yourself is simply becoming aware of others and attentive to their needs. That's it. And so this call of Jesus, this, this restoration of Peter back to Jesus, it's not sexy Right? The Christian life, we think we want these big things. We want to do something sexy for Jesus, right? In essence, that's what what we talk about. But really, the Christian life is really normal and really ordinary and not all that special. But it's within the ordinary. It's within the listening. It's within the encouragement. It's within the pushing in of a chair and the holding of a door in which Jesus makes himself known and extraordinary things begin to happen. So that's what it looks like to die to yourself to imitate Jesus. It's daily dying to yourself <clears throat> in the everyday, normal, mundane things of life. And can I just say as we close, right, Je- how does Jesus restore us to himself? He goes to where the pain is. He shares his ministry with us and he demands, and I It's a purposeful word. He commands, he demands us to imitate him. But Jesus doesn't tell us to do these things as one who has not walked this road. Jesus enters into the pain as one who experienced the pain of temptation, persecution, and actual separation from his father. Jesus shares his ministry with us as one who came to serve and as one who washed feet. And Jesus demands us to imitate him as one who walked the road to the cross before us. And so Jesus does not call where he does not lead. Jesus does not ask things of us which he has not already done. But he is asking us to join in with him. As a way of restoring us back to himself, to the way things were intended to be. the way our hearts are truly oriented, which is to love Jesus. Father, I thank you for these students. I thank you for this place. I thank you for your word. We, just, we need you. Father, will you enter into our pain, into our hurt? Father, will you continue to share your ministry with us to do the work of the kingdom by serving and taking good care of people? And Father, will you teach us to learn how to be with you in order to die to ourself, and to hunger and thirst for you, for your name's sake, for your glory, for your honor, for your fame. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to close just a little bit differently as, as you guys leave. Um, obviously, you're, you're going to on spring break, right? And you might see a lot of people with these shirts on. And so if you're going on PLEA, just we just stand up where you're at? Leaders, PLEA participants, stand up. You're like looking around who's going to stand up first, right? The, these students have, are going on trips, right? They're in some ways giving up their spring break. It's a form of dying to self and going to serve and be the hands and the feet of Jesus, But then I got to thinking, here's the reality is we're all the hands and feet of Jesus. So if you're just in this room, will you just stand up? Here's the reality is you guys go out on spring break. You are ambassadors for the living God. No matter where you go or what you do, whether you're going home, whether you're going on vacation, whether you're staying here. And so I actually, I want to read scripture over you as we close. And I'm actually going to read... Um, 1 Peter chapter 5, a few verses, because this is essentially, Peter, Peter understood what Jesus was saying. He, he took this conversation and he did it. And this is what he says. It's, it's a few verses, but I think it's important. He says this, so, and I want to read this over you. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowns around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And here's what I want you to listen. Verse 10. He said, shepherd the flock, love people well, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So go and be restored. Go and be confirmed. Go and be strengthened. And go and be established. As you go on spring break. And if, if you guys are interested. We actually the, um, There's some people here. The Gideons are here. And they actually want to give Bibles specifically to the Plea teams. They want to do that. But also if you're going and you want to take a Bible. And you want to give it away this spring break. And you want to share the gospel with somebody. Or you just want to encourage your own soul. They're going to be in the back. And so I encourage you to take a Bible. And then Plea teams will take a quick picture. And then you'll be able to get your Bibles after that. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord.